but it's the only way to scale a business. And it's kind of what you have to give up to understand that ultimately, if you have control of everybody and everything, your business will only grow to a point. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I think if you're really going to take it to the next level, you've got to just accept this is now more like a helicopter ride than a, a nice, smooth jumbo jet. Hello, welcome to All In, Joe's business show backed by AIB. I'm not Yvonne Redmond, I'm Dion Fanning, standing in for Yvonne who's away this week. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about the mentality monsters who make a business tick. Yeah, we're talking about building great teams, what is required, what to look for, and what to avoid. Joining me in the studio to share their own knowledge and experience of of building a team, amongst other things, is Jennifer Rock, founder of The Skin Nerd, and Niall McGarry, founder of Maximum Media. Later on, I'll be talking to a serial tech entrepreneur who has generated many millions from selling his businesses and is now on a mission to revolutionize the cosmetic beauty industry. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can catch the show every week with the full podcast or on YouTube. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and you can contact us with the hashtag AllInBusiness. Joe presents All In, together with AIB, backing Irish business. Okay, today we're going to talk about uh, building a team. Jennifer, I'm going to start with you, because two years ago you were sitting at a kitchen table operating a business on your own. Two years later, what's the story? We have to, we're, we're hiring at the moment, so we're set to be just over 22 people by the end of this year. So it's been a little bit busy from a recruitment perspective in the last two years. I often joke that I could have been a HR consultant because the amount of time that is spent getting the right people in the business is as important as the product that we develop or the service that we provide. So it's been an interesting ride because I've never worked for myself prior to this. So I've always mm. been an employee. So to go from being the employee mindset to an employer's mindset has been an interesting transition. But I've, I've enjoyed it. Is it daunting doing that aspect of it, building a team out, like from that, from, from one person to 20? What's interesting is I think I've learned so much about myself. So I would have thought that everybody that came on board would give like 200%, not because it was necessarily my project and they should care that much, but that's just always who I was when I was an employee in previous roles. So I think it's about learning what you expect from yourself, what you expect from others and what the goal of the business is. Mm. So you're, you're, all, you're always learning and evolving as you grow. But for me now, I feel it's the, the first time in two years that everybody that's sitting around the table has their own agenda, because that's life, mm. but they also understand the business's agenda. And I'm moving into a phase now where I'm bringing in senior management, so I'm bringing in a managing director and different heads of departments. And I think that is going to be the next challenge for me to understand where my dynamic and where my role is when I start to become less operational and more about the future. So I think it's just phases, isn't it, really? Is, yeah, Niall, is that something like, you know, as, as a business grows, you've experienced, like, because, you know, presumably there is a, a letting go process involved in that as well. Is that right? Yeah, there's a massive part of letting go. And I think, um, I suppose the juncture, Jennifer's at, is actually probably one of the more challenging parts of the business because your senior management ultimately define your success. I mean, I think, I think what's important is understanding that the entrepreneur is the driver, mm. is the creative individual in an awful lot of cases, and is the person who has to set the strategy. Those skill sets don't necessarily marry with the best manager. So as you grow and as you develop, you absolutely need to develop an appreciation of high-level, top-level management. But that that skill set probably has to come in because it's very, very rare. If I actually don't know if it actually just is possible for a, an entrepreneur who who is brilliant at driving and goal setting and creates the vision can actually manage people. Because one of the things I suppose is 
you know, managing people is a very, very time-staking mm. process. And you end up having to really, really care about other people's problems on a regular basis. And within that, I suppose, it's the difference between a, a manager and someone who is strategic and creative. And they're... They're, they're two different skills. They're two different think, skills. Yeah. They really are. And I think, like, that, that whole process is... Um, it's something that probably a lot of early stage entrepreneurs find daunting is that your job isn't necessary to manage people. It's to bring in people who can then manage people. I think mm. that realisation in itself is daunting, though, when you realise that you're not going to be the, the I suppose, the, the leader in a way, operationally, and trying to make peace with the fact that, that they don't have to come to you about yeah. everything. But you're right. They, in know. one day, you could be thinking about, right, how do I you know, go to the bank and how do I seek funding and how could I get more investors? And then similarly, someone would say, can I get that hour back from the event I did last week? So your head goes from <gasps> to here and you're trying to give both equal attention and it's, it's not practical. So you do need someone to manage whilst you can look to the future. And is that something, because you've both touched on it there, like the creative aspect of being an entrepreneur rather than the management mm. aspect of it, like finding the space, and you've talked about it now in terms of looking at the strategy of the company, finding the space to do that and not getting into the weeds, if you like. Now, not people's problems aren't the weeds, but yeah. to not get into the weeds the of, of the Well, a lot of what so. management do is outside of just people's problems, obviously, but there are weeds in business. There are weeds that you have to deal with day to day. And I've always been strong on the thing. If you're down there in the weeds with everyone, then you're not, you're not operationally directing the business. So it, it, is, uh, it is a big challenge. And what you'll probably find, certainly what I found, is that you know the letting go process probably becomes easier when certain things about the business start to bore you to tears and, and then all of a sudden you're kind of like, I don't want to know about that, I don't know. And also mental capacity is hugely important. As you scale and grow and start to get to levels, we're up on 205 staff or there, thereabouts now. So you literally can't keep in touch with every single aspect of business. And that bit is absolutely freaky in that ultimately if someone does something over here that creates a major problem for your business, it kind of has to go back up the food chain to you and all of a sudden you're like, why didn't I know about this earlier or why didn't this or why didn't that? But ultimately, that's, I think, that's the scary part that comes with scaling is that so many ele- elements of the business go outside of the control of the sole entrepreneur or the partners at top. But it's the only way to scale a business and it's kind of what you have to give up to understand that ultimately, if you have control of everybody and everything, your business will only grow to a point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're really going to take it to the next level, you've got to just accept this is now more like a helicopter ride than a, a nice, smooth jumbo jet it's going to be definitely much more different but I think it's hard for a lot of people that I would circle with who are entrepreneurs and in a similar kind of you know two years into business it's hard to like I'm quite comfortable with knowing what I'm good at and what I'm not good at so I'm not married to wanting to be great at the accounting element or mm. the operation or logistics so I think it's having confidence in your own ability to know that you have to let it go because it's actually for the greater good of the business as opposed to oh, I want to be the person that says that it's my success story well it's everyone's success story if you put the right people in place but it's the trust element I think that's what I've really found for the last two years I've really great people operationally now trying to bring in senior management it's been a very interesting interview process because it's less about their CVs and accolades it's more about the human and will they represent the brand values they understand where we need to bring the company and that's a totally different interview process as opposed to we hire a lot of beauty therapists Mm. who we call nerds like for me for them they just need to be able to tell me that they love skin so it's trying to understand how to bring the right people in how do you how do you attract the right people how will I retain the right people so I do think you're right I think it's a big challenge for me in the next few months which I'm ready Ready, ready for, for yeah. How do yeah. you do that then? How do you attract those people that you know, because you know, you know that you can trust 
with the business that is your creation and the thing you, you, you've built? This is the first time I've had to do it, so I suppose maybe ask me in a year's time. <laughs> but what I've done up until now is really attract people around me that are interested in the business. It's not me. Up until now, a lot of people have wanted to work for me, Jennifer Rock. So mm. they'd perhaps think that they'd work in media a lot or formulating products. Now I've attracted people that are fantastic in their area. So the potential MD that's coming on board has marketing and IT in their background. That's ultimately what our company is. It's communication and it's it's all online. It's digital. Mm. So, But I've gotten to know him over the last few months it's it's almost been like professional courting as my mother has called it um, because I have to know that when I go to Asia like next week I'm going to Japan for two weeks I, I want in six months time when that's my reality that person's at home driving the ship the same way they don't go oh I'm just gonna deviate this mm, way so we're on the same page they're the, they're, and it's cheesy but they have to be the yin to my yang and they also have to be strong enough to tell me Jennifer that's not the right decision like you know I'm not business orientated in that that's not my accolade so I need somebody to be able to say look Jennifer look at the margin look at the profit let's you know, let's think wisely here. Let's not right. go with our dreams and our notions. And do you go through a long, in- like when you say it's not a traditional, like is it a different interview process? Because you hear some big companies now, like there's 10 interviews, 11 interviews for, but it is that kind of getting to know you and getting to know that you're sort of psychologically and personal- personality-wise the right fit. I've been working with the board of advisors since day one, which I think has really helped me to understand the different elements of business and through their relationships, because most of those are 20, 30 years in business, they have introduced me to their peers and different people they've met along the way. So I've been fortunate that I've managed to pop myself into a circle that I wouldn't otherwise know. And we've whittled it down to a couple of candidates and one person is just excellent. And Mm. they've also worked in a consultancy capacity for the last few months for me to understand how they work with my team and how they work with me and deadlines because that's the part that anyone can say in an interview process, I'm this and I'm that. Anyone's CV can shine golden Mm. on a page, but it's the reality of the hustle thereafter and their strategic thinking that I needed to see. Niall, that's something like, you know, that I think people like a a lay person like myself would imagine that like if you're going all in on a business that you have to be involved in everything. Like that point when you, like how do you make time for the the strategy thinking, the the yeah, it's it. difficult. I mean, I think I've probably found it more difficult because one of the things we've had is that the Irish business and the UK business are very, very different beasts, different stages of the life cycles. So we're not, we're not actually. I'm not getting as much from an economy of scale from a mentality perspective as I as I would like to because obviously here we've got her and her family as well as Joe and Sports Joe and then <clears throat> Max and Media is our B two B brand. So we 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 and and it's ten next year. Like it's quite scary to think it, but like. It's at a very, very different stage. It's, I wouldn't say it's at a maturity stage because I think, to be honest with you, this, the digital market's far from mature. But it seems that way from the outside a little bit, whereas the UK business is very much in a growth phase. And what we're trying to do is add in massive new revenue channels like events and e-commerce to our business, whereas up until now, we've grown our turnover just with branded content and dealing with global brands. And there's a great security in that and that ultimately you know that these people are going to pay it, which is you know fundamentally important part of business. So the... That's that's an interesting point. The strategy piece is crucial, and I feel like this year my mental availability for strategy has been lessened because I've had to deal with the realities, of, as I said, of having over two hundred staff and mm. all that comes with that. And then when you're running a media business, lots of different challenges, you know, get in your way. Like in the UK, where we've taken on this mantle of being a liberal, progressive media organisation, probably a little bit left of centre, certainly in terms of our positioning. Um, and that kind of brings a good and a bad element to it. So there's loads of different things that the challenges that have presented themselves this year, and as a result, my mental availability for strategy 
has been lessened and it's something I'm desperately to get back in place from January onwards because ultimately that's that's my role. I've kind of discovered this year in particular that I have to be the person to drive the thing. And I think entrepreneurially, Jennifer in the same boat is that you can bring in any type of individual from a management perspective, but unless they've got huge skin in the game, the entrepreneur is the only person who's properly rewarded or the founder or the, the owners to actually drive the business. Because it's very easy to get into a complacent state in any business where you go, do you know what, last year was good and if we can have half as good a year, more metaphorically, mm. if we can have as good a year, let's say, as we had last year, that would be great, we'll take for that. Whereas ultimately, you're judged as a business, it's a bit like goal scoring and being a striker in football, you're judged on how much growth are you achieving every mm. single year and you've got to show, because when your business stops growing, it potentially becomes less attractive to suitors. So you've got to show, if, if that's what's in the, in the end goal for a lot of entrepreneurs, and it is, because ultimately it's the only way to acquire... I suppose a tangible uh, economic success from your business is to is to exit at some stage in the future. But you've got to literally grow the business all of the time, and <clears throat> the creative element of what I what we do is crucial. It falls to me, and if I'm not if I haven't got enough time to be creative, then will the business suffer creatively? No. Thankfully, we've got really good people who are like firing up, and we've had so much creativity over the last two or three years. What we're actually trying to do is wait for the market to catch up with us a little bit. Because obviously we've made this big move to be a distributed media business completely. Move a little bit away from driving people to websites and ultimately creating content like All In <clears throat> that people consume as podcasts and you know, uh, audio apps or consume on YouTube or consume as Magic Minutes or live events. So we've created an awful lot of energy, I would call it, from being creative the last few years. And now we kind of need for the market to... To catch up. Mm. So I'm not as panicked about that. But from January, I have it in my mind's eye. That's what the opening of the Galway office is, is for me to get into a place where I can get back to being creative and looking at what the next stage of the journey is. Yeah, Yeah, because that's something I was going to ask you about when you said that. The the interesting thing when you talked about opening that Galway office was you needed someone, you needed people to be, you know, there as, as sort of the ideas sort of tumble Tumble, tumble out of your brain. Yeah. Uh, but like that finding that, <laughs> yeah, but that finding that space, because I wonder for like, for both of you, like how it is that uh, you kind of find that creativity because like, is it something that you, that comes to you when you're not in the kind of day to day, like when you actually go to Galway, when you're, you go home to Scaries, like, you know, when you're driving in, like, is that how it, is that how it, it happens for you? I'm probably at a slightly different stage in that it's very hands on. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably the most frustrating person in the office because I always have ideas. So now I'm trying to not curb them, but park them and lift them because at the moment we're still so young. So I need to try and hone in and perfect as much as is possible. The three businesses that we have where I was very guilty this time last year of having idea after idea and then I get distracted and then I do this and then this wouldn't get the focus that it deserved. So I really want to try and and. I suppose just concentrate on the three business that we have deliver to the client what they deserve the service the product and and look after my team and mm. um, whether it's me directly or indirectly so that's my goal for the next few months it's a, it's a really interesting point because I actually think that is going to be the way it's going to be long term you are as as an entrepreneur the entrepreneur is probably going to be the the most frustrating person in the office. The entrepreneur is going <laughs> to be the person. <laughs> yeah, sadly, it's the reality because ultimately, the entrepreneur has to challenge change. Yes, and the entrepreneur, and it. sorry, and champion it, I think and champion it. Yeah, of course, and yeah. not just implement change for change sake, change sake, mm-hmm. but ultimately, um, if the entrepreneur isn't preempting what's coming down the track, then boom, 
your business stops in its tracks and you get radically challenged in terms of your future ability to drive commercial success. So the entrepreneur carries this strange, uh, I suppose, mantle always, which is, God, that person is saying, do this now, where a year ago they were saying, do this other thing. And ultimately, it's not some element of uncertainty. It's an element of the entrepreneur has to be akin and in tune with the wider political, economic, social, technological changes that are happening in the in the wider world that maybe a staff member won't see because ultimately they're not, not as well. reliant on mm-hmm. this business working. And then they walk in and implement that change. And it can absolutely create huge frustration for the staff and huge uncertainty at times. And that's the reality of it. But your job then at the end of a decade or end of five years or whatever length of time in business to be able to kind of call a market and say, this is how we've done, is to show that you're still ahead of the posse in terms of your competitive set. But it brings huge challenges in terms of perception internally. But do you also need senior management then that is prepared are prepared to challenge you? You do, but you also need... You do. <coughs> Again, you know, you can get into this thing where it's like, oh, challenge just for the sake of it. Like, mm. I'm not a yes person. And of course you do. But at the same time, they still have to they still have to buy in to the belief that you as the entrepreneur have this out and out vision and that they go, Okay, fair enough, I get it, I see where you're going because I think um you can have people that absolutely challenge it, but as long as it's accurate and, and look, it's healthy, it it's healthy. healthy but, but it has to be accurate too. The things I found is that some people will be very compliant, and then some people will commit. And what I'm looking for are people that are committing to the brand and the philosophy. And yes, of course, you look beyond the sector to see what's happening in the world to understand where your business can grow. And I think that's the harder part because I have amazing people around me, but perhaps may, maybe a couple are quite yes people. And it's only now that they're starting to fight back for the mm. best of the business and say, "Look, Jennifer, that was a great idea, but." Actually, if we did X, Y, and Z, or if we did it in six months, we'd get a better outcome from it. But you, how, how did you spot that? Because, you know, like having yes people around must be quite comforting in some ways. I don't ways. like yes. I love debate. I love okay. when someone has a different opinion to me because that's when, and it sounds like such a cliche, so I'm sorry, but that's when you grow. That's when I learn. Like my addiction is to learning as opposed to anything else. So if I have people around me that are constantly saying, yes, let's do that, it doesn't feel right inside because not everything that comes out of one human's mouth can be 100% accurate mm. and if you've gathered the right people around they should be trying to grow the business not just appeasing one person that happens to be the founder the, the, the counter argument that obviously mm-hmm. is that you know I would look at scenarios and go well you have to have consensus on certain things right of course but at the same time the most successful implementation I believe of any strategy be it management of football team running of a country etc is often having that one key person to make the decision right so what I'd say is, of course, you need to... I would say I'll first set up where people are making their own calls daily and on a continual basis where it doesn't necessarily need to go up the food chain to me or somebody else. But ultimately, when it comes to the strategy... That's it, one person. Do you know what I mean? It has yeah, to be no, one person. And it can true. be a frustrating place where you constantly have people challenge or chipping away at your strategy because just for the sake of it. Yeah. So this thing of yes men or yes women, it's kind of a little bit of a... It can be a little bit of a misnomer in terms of a concept. Mm. It can't be applied to everything is that of course you don't want people to fundamentally agree with everything you say and say, Your Honour, we'll do whatever, mm. you know, whatever you say. But when it comes to strategy, you've got people to just go, yeah, I get it, I see it, fair play, I didn't spot that, we're going with it. Because it can slow down the journey if you don't get people to buy like this idea of the yes person then? Well, I, th- I think it's a little bit overplayed. I think mm. it's a little bit overplayed. I mean, I certainly, if, if I was working well with somebody and they were in a lot of agreement what I said all of the time, because ultimately they, they respected that I have the vision... I wouldn't be looking to go, oh, 
are they a yes person? I would never think, I would say, they enable me to get to the places quicker. Not everyone will have that argument. Some people will go, this person just agreeing with me for the sake of it because they don't have anything to offer. But like the other side, the flip side of that coin is if this person keeps interjecting and putting in just to challenge you, it slows you down massively but to get it, the end point. Does it ultimately come down to, to whether they're, what they're challenging you with or what they're agreeing with works or is a good idea? Because like, is, is it just like, if you've got someone who's challenging you and you're going, well, that's, that work, that makes sense. If I can clarify and be extremely honest, I think the yeah. reality for me and my circumstances that I started off in my parents' dining room table over two mm. years ago. So there was no business plan strategy that I now, quarter four, like my whole goal is to finish off our, our 2020 strategy. So for some businesses, that's still too soon. So I suppose for me, we're only starting to get that absolute solid clarity. So up until now, it has been, well, what do you think? And maybe too conversational. I haven't really acted as you might now, yeah. 10 years in, been the founder going, right, this is where we're going, this is where we're headed and you can't deviate. Whereas I've perhaps honest answer been a little bit like, okay, yeah. And so I take a lot on board. And that's me being completely honest and I think that's probably a reality for many. But now I'm looking forward to, this is where we're going, we're not budging. Um, Mm. And when I say the yes person, it's more that it's just people trying to do the absolute best they can. It's not to pacify, it's not because they don't have skills. It's more so that they feel that they probably think I have the absolute vision whereas now my reality is I have the vision. But a year and a half ago, Definitely not. I still didn't know what it was going to become. I didn't know what it would be for today. It wasn't quite as planned as other businesses. Two points I'd make on what Jennifer has said is that on the first, on the most lateral thing you said, I actually think, yeah, two years in, you're probably, am I, you know, can you give, should we, you're asking lots of questions. And there's probably an element of self-doubt in any entrepreneur after two years, right? Mm -hmm. Particularly taking that leap as Jennifer has from being an employee to being an employer and so on and so forth. And I think that's completely normal. Um, but I also kind of, I'm very wary of compromise for the sake of it, right? And it's why I probably thrive more as a slightly autocratic entrepreneur in terms of decision making, because I I very much fear uh, killing yourself with compromise from a business perspective. Mm. And it's like, well, this is the five of us. I'm a little bit wary of bores in that regard, is Mm. that like, you know, it's like, well, five people have five different opinions and we'll mangle them all together and we'll end up in a scenario where no one is entirely happy. I'm definitely petrified of that. But I think you're going to, in five years' time, probably have a much greater vision for your business than you have after two years' time. So I actually think that you're probably going to take on that autocrat role probably an awful lot easier. But at the start, it's probably good to be consulted, if I agree. But I'd also say, it's just to go back to the yes man or the yes woman, this concept again, just to nail it from mm. where I'm, I'm at, is that it's become such a thing, such a byword, such an industry word, that you can have people who walk into places going, well, one thing I'm not is yeah. I'm not a yes man or I'm not a yes woman. And the worry there is if you end up hiring them is, do those people slow you down in terms of getting to decisions fast? Because one thing that all businesses are going to need, and I'm sure Jennifer's business is going to absolutely need, is nimble, uh, being nimble and being agile are like two key. of the key yeah. skill sets. Mm-hmm. All of the you know, 100-year-old businesses <clears throat> that are, have got great boards and great cash reserves and thrived over a century are now being challenged because they are fat, they are slow to turn, they are emotionally and mentally afraid to change. And that is, that is a huge challenge for those businesses. And staying nimble, staying agile, staying, staying, having a quick turning circle are core to any business in the digital age. Because the opportunities that are... It is very much like a reset for everybody Mm. in the world right now. A total reset. 
like a once in a generation opportunity, if not once in a however long the planet's going to be around opportunity to press reset and for everyone to kind of start again. Barriers to entry have dropped because you can have people like us come and challenge very established media sets. You've got people like Jennifer who can go into the world and challenge the Laureans and the Clarence or whoever she wants to challenge long term. These are unique times that we're living through. But but able to move to things fast and not get caught up in consultation, I think is massive part of, of, of achieving greatness. I want to ask you something, just to go back on something you said there about the self-doubt that might accompany it, of, uh, any decisions you're making. Like, how big a factor is that or how much of a voice is that that you have to silence when you're making decisions as the leader? I think, yeah, I think like everything you kind of go, if you're, if you're 70% brilliant and you're 30% not so sure, you just back the 70% mm. all of the time. That's the bit you focus on. And I think as an entrepreneur, if you get caught up in self-doubt, obviously you have to be self-deprecating and you have to have self-awareness mm. and you have to go, I'm not some sort of individual who can walk around without taking a shot or two. And Jesus, we get plenty of shots mm. at us and you have to take them. But ultimately, if you focus... Skin, need thick skin. You do need thick skin. I think it was touched on earlier, <laughs> one of our guys, Mick, has just found out when we were putting on our makeup, it's very thick skin, <laughs> physically and metaphorically. But one of the things I would say is y- you can't focus on the self-doubt. Be self-aware to improve your weaknesses. Mm. But don't, don't, don't keep guessing. Don't second-guess second yourself. yourself. Was that? Don't second guess yourself. No. Once you make a decision, you have to commit and just live with it, isn't Mm. that it? But I'm slightly different, I suppose. Maybe it's different stage or just different ways of being. But I do love my advisory board because I collect all the different information, all the different expertise. In my, in where, where I come from as a beauty therapist thinking would be mad of me not to but then my opinion's my opinion and it's fairly gospel and I'm lucky that there's no um, control element it's still my decision if that makes sense so once I've collected all the data I genuinely sleep on it that's the only way I can do it digest it and then commit to the decision the next day and then we roll with it so hmm. yeah. it's a different way and I think your 70-30 analogy is correct you just have to drive through with it you can't you wouldn't sleep at night if you kept doubting yourself every single second of every single minute you make yeah. or every decision that you make yeah you, you yeah. can't get caught up in it. You, you, yeah. just, you just can't. And ultimately, I think your self-doubt lessens the more kind of proof in the pudding you have created. And like, because as I said, getting into business is not for easy. As I said, these, we, we're living in a scenario where some of these kind of weekend hackathons suggest that getting into business is easy mm. and it's this frivolous la-la land where get a load of money, raise loads of cash and throw it out there and see how you get on. It's, yeah. it's that, that, that to me is incredulous. It's Business is very, very serious mm. and very, very challenging and you're 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 responsible for an awful lot of people's livelihoods and potentially other people's cash so this scenario where people kind of paint it out as this kind of like oh, it's all very you know it's all fun and games it, it's not it's quite serious so you can't as a leader ever get cu- too far caught up in self-doubt if that if, if the reality is your decision making and your ability to make decisions clearly affects and cohesively affects loads of people yeah. but it's interesting for you to say that it's it's, it's part of it because i think some people again might think that any sort of aspect of doubt means that you you should probably reconsider or something whereas it's a natural part of the decision making process and you allow it to sit there but you don't get sidetracked by it. I'd argue if you use it correctly, sorry, that yeah. it could be healthy because the element of self-doubt will allow you to kind of debate yourself and then when you do commit to it that you know you've toyed with both angles mm. and you're you're sure that this is the right way to go. So, But it I probably is the first, again, we talk about what are the first challenges to business and I've probably named 10 things that are the number one challenge early doors because <laughs> there's so fucking many, you know. But that thing of like doubt, right, is an interesting point mm. in that so many people probably never go all in 
to borrow from the, the show's name at the start because of doubt. Mm. And if you get caught up, and that's where the thing I talked about, and I think you're right in terms of having a board of advisors at the start in terms of learning corporate governance, learning accountancy, learning tax returns, learning all the basic stuff that all isn't the taught. Stuff, at the, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> the stuff that isn't taught at college or isn't taught at school. You need to have that. But ultimately, <clears throat> the core part of the business does has to fall to the entrepreneur. And I'm sure you're going to be like, no, I know this product better than anybody of and course. that's it. Yeah, that's but your role. I see so many people who 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 I just know haven't pushed on with things because, you know, they're, they're still kind of looking at the doubts or the pros and cons. Because if you weigh up everything, I guarantee you, if we in 2010 looked at setting up a digital media business, the cons would have outweighed the pros. I've but no doubt. That's the same in life, isn't it? If you decide, right, I want to enter into this relationship with this partner, you, and you, uh, you have choice of wedding, beautiful family, everything's happy ever after, or break my heart, divorce, no house. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, that's yeah, the reality yeah. of life. So I think that you're right. You have to kind of, I think if you have an inner belief, and that sounds very, again, cliche, but I think if you've done your research, you know what your business overview is and what you can offer the market. You just have, you have to go for it. You have to try um, and build all the information you can as you grow. But I think going back to your point, I suppose the topic of today's show is about building the right team. Yes, it comes from the founder, but it ultimately is building the right people around you that can execute it and I think that's the key part. How important in that is you know talent versus personality type like will you take uh, a personality type that might be more abrasive if you think they're the talented person uh, I want to drive things on? I think for me it's a lot about you'd hope that some when someone comes for the role that they have the skills like they have the talent that mm. I would almost particularly senior management you just expect is a given. Perhaps I'll be corrected in a year's time, but um, I think the human is really important for me so that they will, they'll be, to use your words, agile, nimble. They'll have that flexibility. They understand we're a small business, that we have to move fast, that it's not a nine to five. And I think the attitude of somebody is something you can't teach mm. um, and how they want to apply themselves. I think that's paramount as opposed to I've worked here and I generated X amount and our margin was and that should just be a given mm. if you're applying for such a senior role. And does their attitude to people matter too? Because to I think me, if yes, you're if definitely. you're interviewing somebody, say, and they reveal themselves to be yes, so uh, yeah, like I'm a big believer in body language. <laughs> Says she all closed <laughs> and hidden today, but I'm a big believer in body language, and I've always find it interesting when I'll interview with other people. From sometimes I'll ask someone from the board of advisors, and I had a situation recently where somebody I suppose just maybe didn't give me as much time and would perhaps give more time to somebody else, and that just doesn't sit right with me. So. I'll kind of observe. Didn't give you enough time in what? An interview Conversation context, and just eye contact. So imagine but this is an interview, I, was it? Yes, oh, imagine right, you okay. and I were speaking, but I never looked mm. at you once. I just think that's... Oh, major so, so for off. me, I mm. want to understand, if I'm not in the room, how will they hold themselves? How will they conduct? How will they introduce? How would they represent? Would they give eye contact? Is it equal? Um, so now I've got a psychology degree as well. Right. <laughs> I joke. <laughs> I think it's just really interesting because you have to watch the human. Like one of our trade words, trademark words is human because everything we do is about helping humans, be it man or woman, feel good mm. in themselves and literally in their own skin. So if I don't have somebody at the top that's embodying that and is all inclusive, then that's that's a no-go for me. And why was that interviewee not paying attention to you? Did he... Like, sounds like they were just not a people person. Just not a people mm. person. And, that's, yeah. and, like, and, you know, phenomenal. And maybe in, in other parts mm. of the business, they could have brought IT skills that we would never have. But for but me... But ultimately, you've been in a scenario, right? Let's say they come in, they had loads of other skills. You've been in a scenario where constantly your staff would be going, geez, that person that you've brought in, whoever it is, they're a bit odd, they're a bit strange. It would, it would just tear everything apart if you have... It doesn't matter. Like, the skill set thing, as Jennifer said certain parts of it need to be given and believe it or not it won't be for everybody they'll say X, Y and Z and then we'll actually have the fundamental skill sets True. but 
I think this kind of, you know, people skills, we go back to it all of the time. The launch pad for people into their careers are based around things like being a really, really good communicator, being a warm individual, being able to get on with people. Those three skill sets are absolutely crucial. Intense, strange, odd, <laughs> for the sake of it, ball-breaking individuals, I don't believe in the new age we're living through will have anywhere near the success that they had in the past. And what you'll often have is you'll walk into an organisation and you'll go, why is everybody in that place so bloody strange? And you'll find it's because the person at the top is just well, an odd fish. slightly strange, so maybe that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but not what I'm based on what I've seen today. <laughs> creative. You're doing a good job of hiding it. <laughs> creative. We'll agree that it's creative. But I think it's trying to build a high-performing team, and I think you're right. I think if you have the correct communicator, someone that can empower others and allow them to have autonomy within reason, within themselves and their role, that that will allow them to grow and therefore their department and the company to grow. So I think you're right. I think the old-school way of management is... Well, definitely doesn't fit our sector. No, and I it work doesn't with fit therapists any sector anymore. And I work it's with skincare and people trying to feel good to themselves. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think someone that comes in and, you know, doesn't want to touch a little bit or engage with eye contact or actually care how you are, yeah. I don't, they don't, they're not going but to survive. Totally. In that interview scenario, you went through there. If that person, right, you're walking in, you're going, I can't wait to meet this person. They have an unbelievable CV. If we could get them on paper, they're going to revolutionise our, our business. However, in that one hour... If this person isn't looking at you and they're acting strange, you're never going to hire them. Or that should absolutely be... That's the way I'd be because it doesn't matter like what's on paper. It's the, what does the... It does to a degree, but it's, if, if you, you can click with the individual, it's never going to work. And look, especially in that role, I suppose you're looking for someone to be, as I said earlier, the interior yang. But it is. It's like I teach my son all the time. It's about the human situation. It's about, you know, actually, like he's nearly 16, so he's he's loving human interaction. Is the grunt is what you get. But I'm trying to teach him at the moment that, like, you know, he doesn't just have to do great in the Leaving Cert, please God, but he also has to understand that there's, within business, why you're recruited is because of the person that you are, you know, the, the openness that you might bring, the... It's not just, oh, I got 10 A's or, you know, I got 600 points or I got, you know, I have an MBA or whatever it might be. Um, Look, that's great, guys. We'll, we'll have to wrap it up there, but stay with us because we're going to come back to get your one to watch. But that was fantastic. Thank you. Joe presents All In, together with AIB, backing Irish business. This week's trailblazer is a Cork man who has founded and sold a number of tech companies, including Cubic Telecom and Trustev. But having spotted the Instagram-fueled growth of cosmetic beauty, his latest venture is building a global beauty brand from Ireland. It's Pat Phelan of Sisu Aesthetic Clinic. But his business story begins with a life-changing decision he made in his personal life. Pat, you're very welcome to All In. Thanks very much, Dina. Um, I want to ask you first, would you say your, your business life began when you stopped drinking and you turned your life around? I think there was no other evidence. You know, my father was a publican. I kind of never had any interest in entrepreneurship or mm. business. I just thought a job would be great. So it's a, it really started when I stopped. Because you 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 had a you had a drinking problem. I did. I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you stopped what twenty year, nearly twenty years? Nearly ago? twenty years. Twenty twenty years in January seventeenth. Right. And where would you be? Do you think if you hadn't stopped? Dead. Right. No doubt. No, no doubt. None. Zero. Okay. It just wouldn't exist. And people would be in the pub saying, remember him? Right. I actually met someone the other day. It was hilarious. I met someone the other day and he said, geez, I haven't seen you in the pub for ages. Are you off to drink? 
<laughs> like as if as if we were having a pint yesterday, right. you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's amazing how some people's lives. So from that, from this life that was spent revolved, revolved around drink. Yeah. Uh, what happened? Like what? Apart from the stopping drink, then what? What? What did that give you? Like what did that free up in your in your bandwidth, if you like? I think there was kind of there was probably two things. There was one how much effort had to go into maintaining the money for drink. Mm. You know, like you can see, if you walk the streets today, the work that addicts have to put into getting the next fix, Mm. it's probably, that's the thing that kills people. It's Mm. that wearing you down. So I think there was that. And I think number two, and probably, probably the part that really fired me on was we had nothing. Right. I had two kids and a wife. Yeah. They were, you know, they weren't babies anymore. Yeah. And we didn't own a house. We didn't own a car. You know, there was zero, you know, Mm. I I hadn't provided. Right. And, you know, my father had been a great provider. Yeah. And there was nothing there. So, you know, there was a kind of a deep shame and a kind of a, listen, we better get uh, on with this. Mm. And that, that's what drove you, that sense that was, you now. That was now. that initial spur that I need to fix what I've, what I've made wrong. Right. And was that something that took you by surprise in a sense? Because like you must have spent a life, uh, like <clears throat> up until then you were living your life entirely to, to service that addiction. Pra- practically a single man, yeah. to be honest. Uh, you know, my family were like accessories. Right. They were a part in my play. Yeah. And uh, it was that kind of deep shame around the whole thing, you know, that this all needs to be fixed. There's kids here that are going to need an education. Mm. There are people going to need to go to college. There's this, 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 mm. and we have nothing. But was there also an energy then as well? Because presumably you're, you're not, on a very basic level, you're not hungover, you're not sick, you're not full of, like the, the shame that's there isn't the day-to-day shame you might have had towards maybe the end of your drinking. So you actually might have... Was that energy boost that when you started off in business something that drove you as well? Absolutely, because there's that reignite. You've just gained so much. There's no hangovers. There's no late nights. You're getting 10 hours sleep. Plus you're exhausted because the recovery is so hard. You know, the first couple of years that you're actually going to bed early, getting up early... You have a sleep problem, obviously, mm-hmm. most addicts do in recovery. So you have this sleep thing, so you're awake. Everything, these synapses are just firing. Right. The, these endorphins yeah. are just, you know, you're happy, you're trying to come up with things. And it, it was, it, I've, I've tried to explain it to people, and I can't because there are loads of people who don't get this don't understand it and mm. there are loads of people who give up drink that didn't get it either mm. but there was just like this insane drive that just appeared out of nowhere right. and I'm not driven okay you know I wasn't driven for the other yeah. X, 35 years 34 years and where but it suddenly it was it, that was with you and you had to find some outlet for it I, I did like everything I was reading like a lunatic yeah. I was buying books every week trying to find a different way to do this rather than AA. Mm. You know, I, I, I remember I bought a book, uh, 
the power of positive thinking. I used to buy books every week, Lotus Eater, mm. and I bought this book, The Power of Positive Thinking, and uh, I went into my sponsor, Nay, and I said, I found a new way. Right. This book, The Power of Positive Thinking, he said, he threw himself off a bridge. Right. <laughs> and he kind of, that's how, you know, I was, I was, I was, I, I think what happened was I'd like seriously started drinking in my 20s. Mm. And stopped in my thirties, mm. and I think in reality my mind had stopped, yeah. and I was like a twenty-year-old in the body of a thirty-five-year-old right. with that level of drive. Okay, and so within five years you'd found, founded Cubic Telecom. Yeah, I, I, I started with a recruitment agency. Mm. We were—I was a chef. We couldn't get chefs, so we opened a recruitment agency. Did well. Uh, Moved into an internet cafe business, scaled that up. Didn't mm. know what scaling yeah, was, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But we, we, we did that up. We built a phone company for long-distance calling cards. That did really well. And uh, within, within five years, I'd started Cubic because I'd been traveling for the phone company mm. and had these insane uh, roaming bills. Right. And that drive you were bringing to your business, how much was everything you'd experienced informing how you were doing business, how you were, like, because presumably you were living your life in a different way. Was it informing? Do you think you were doing business in a different way because of that too? I, di- I think I have a very unusual attitude to business and that I'm fairly fearless. Okay. And I have this ability to restart Yeah. Uh, very rapidly to get over, to get over things that don't work out. Hmm. And also this, uh, and I, th- I, I see this in, I see this in startup CEOs all the time. I also have this kind of Pied Piper ability, mm. where people will follow me. Right. And uh, I look for that. I think it's really interesting. People follow you. They believe you. They'll come on board with you, and hopefully, in the end, you'll all have a great result. Mm. And that's the key. Everybody having a great result. And when you say you were fearless, where did that come from? I think I think it was this thing where. I'd gotten sober, had done well fairly quickly, uh, had kind of put right a lot of the wrongs that I had done, mm. and was now saying, okay, now that the shackles are off, there's the ability to do something really big here. Yeah. And was it, like you talked about the addictive part of your personality, was that part of was it, that element like where are you going you're going all in on business now everything yeah, everything. everything but i'm still the same yeah everything's all in the gym is all in business is all in life is all in i'm yeah. i'm pretty it's funny because i can be negative online and people think i might be a bit negative and i'm actually the opposite right and why where why, where, where where does that negativity come from then uh, or where that perception come i from? kind of speak my mind a lot right yeah i'm kind of straightforward and uh my filter doesn't always work. I'm a bit of a speak first and, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, pray for an apology or something, you know, but I'm, I'm a bit outspoken, I guess. And go back to Cubic Telecom then and explain to me what, like, what you had seen and what you felt was the gap there that you were going to... Sure. So, so at the time, I was traveling the world and I was getting these, uh, you know, two to three, we, we all got them, mm. two to three thousand euro... Mm roaming bills, and I thought there must be an easier way to do this. Yeah. Uh, it it must be easy to do it. I'd built telcos already. Um, so we rented a platform, yeah. uh, 
got a carrier license and tried to scale it up. And uh, got a bunch of guys in Cork to give us money, uh, almost sold to Google. I've never told anyone that. Really? <laughs> yeah. What we, happened? Um, we were down to full, we did full due diligence with Google. Oh, yeah? And we had them all coming over to Cork at... I, I suppose the statute of limitations of law has long passed of that NDA. But we had all the Google guys in Cork, the whole team. And uh, Google were buying Cubic. I had the offer. And uh, they proceeded to do due diligence. And Google were going to launch their own global mobile network. Mm. And they didn't in the end uh, because they, had, they acquired Android. Yeah. And of course, Android depends on carriers and phones and subsidies, mm. etc., and uh, they parked it, and they had bought a they bought a really interesting company, which is now Google Voice, called Grand Central. Right. And they were going to put Grand Central and us together and build a worldwide phone company. And so they were there; they were going to buy it. Yep. And how? <clears throat> at what point did you find out that it wasn't going to happen? Um, I remember I was visiting someone in hospital, driving back to the office, and I got a telephone. They said no, a telephone call, and they said, "No, we're not going to do it." And how much were you going to buy it for? Um, it was more than I've ever made, even <laughs> right, since. Right. <laughs> so how did you feel? Like, what, was, what, what, what was going through your mind when that you took that took, call? That one took a few days to get over. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah. Don't. So it was, it was essentially done, like the deal was done. It was done. Due diligence was being completed in Cork. All the team were over. I was bringing them for points every night. and Right. Like, they were here. Senior, senior people. And when the, when, they, when the deal collapsed, like, who did you hear from? Like, who called you to tell you that? The guy who was managing the project at Google said. Right. Said, uh, no, it's not you, it's us. <laughs> That's what they all <laughs> I'm say. Going, it is me, it is me. <laughs> <laughs> These guys hate me. Yeah. And, uh, but we've had, I, I, I'm still friendly with all of the, all of the Google guys. And uh, I, I think, actually, I've never broken the NDA until now. But the guy who was running the deal, who's now a startup CEO, who was the head of Google uh, Telecom's operation, he tweeted it. Right. Now, you say you took a few days to get over. Like, how did you get over that? Because... Well, I mean, it, it's like everything else. It's like... It's like, um, imagine tomorrow that no, someone tells Niall that Joe's in the height of trouble and there's been a huge accountancy error, blah, blah, blah. Well, he still has to turn up tomorrow and steady the ship and make mm. sure everybody gets their wages, make sure, you know, mm. what happens, happens, and people still expect the same stuff. And that's what we have to do. We would go and raise more money, find investors rapidly, mm. and uh, keep the ship afloat. And you sold the company then in, in 2012? I sold it to the guy who runs it today, yeah. his company, and uh, I decided to make a move, and that was it. And when you then made the move, you sold. You've sold two companies now, three, three companies. Uh, and like, what what do the what is the learning you take from from those things? And I suppose maybe the the times like Google when it doesn't happen. I suppose, firstly, for me, I I always liked to have a right hand guy. Hmm. You know, if you're looking at uh, if you're looking at companies, I think one, it's very difficult for one. So I always like co-founders. Mm. I think it's a good way to work. It's very balanced. So that would be the first thing. Uh, second thing I learned was, you know, ensure there's funding there at all times. Mm. So I'm a, I'm an overfunder rather than, <clears throat> excuse me, 
I'm an overfunder rather than a, a guy who goes, you know, it'll be all all right in the day and the, the yeah. wages will mysteriously appear mm. because I've been in that position. Uh, and I, th- I, I think what's also interesting is that it doesn't have to be new. This is what I look for in stuff. I, I, I look for stuff that isn't new but could be global. Okay. Right. And Trustev then, when you sold, sold that, like that was uh, a big deal. Uh, maybe not the Google size deal, but... Trustev was a big deal. Uh, and to, it was quick. Mm. Um, and having been, been gone so far down the line before, like, at what stage did you start thinking, this is done now? The day the money hit my account. Right. And does the money just hit your account and is it like off we go into the sunset? No, I, it's funny. It's funny. I was asked that the other night uh, by someone. It's, it, it's the beginning okay. because people think, you know, oh, TransUnion, who are a public company now, bought trust of. And, you know, someone said to Patrick, and there's a bag of money. Thanks for everything now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of these acquisitions and deals are, you know, on, on a path. And, yeah. you know, I... I was in New York at the time. Actually, I was in Cork when we done the deal. But uh, I, lived in, I lived in New York at the time, and my job then became introducing fraud prevention to every transunion operating company. So I was in Medellin, mm. uh, Bogota, right. <laughs> San Paulo, China, India, uh, to every one of their opcos, mm. South Africa, bringing bringing fraud stacks into their business and to ensure then that fraud was selling well across the whole company mm. and that we hit an earn out and we hit that earn out and then uh, I decided it was time to do something new. And when you're doing that, are you working for them then? Are you, you're is, working for them. And how, how, how is that as, as, a, as actually, a change? Actually, it was fantastic. They were really good. They gave me a good bit of space. Mm. Although I believe my language was the most complained ever to TransUnion HR. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't used to that, really. They weren't used to that in Chicago, (laughs) uh, the Irish uh, phrases. So, um, but I I loved it. I loved all my time there. Uh, There was an amazing CEO, a guy called Jim Peck. And uh, I, like, had my own division. I had my own targets. Mm. Um... And it was super, and even, you know, when I was leaving, they kept me on for another year as a consultant, kind of a roaming okay. world consultant. Uh, but I was thinking about the next thing at that stage. And what were you thinking was the next thing at that stage? I had been, I'd lived in New York for five years, and I, I had watched a huge growth in the beauty industry. Mm. Like, insane. I just walked past Bryan Square, on the way to the office and I'd see queues for this place and start to be, you know, what's going on here? And I found out it was a, a place called Dry Bar where you get your hair blow-dried on the way mm-hmm. to work and pack $65. And then my, uh, well, my best friend, Dr. James Cotter and his brother, Brian, Dr. Brian Cotter, they had, um, they were both doctors, but they had a, a Botox clinic or an aesthetic clinic, a small one in Cork. And I gave him some help with regards to company setup, you know, the usual kind of stuff, tax advice and all this. And I started looking at it closely, thinking, 
if we could rebrand it, it had a terrible name. It's called Visage, mm. the same as 900 other Irish hairdressers who were, you know, born in the 80s. Um, and it was pink and it was Visage. And I said, guys, I think we could really have something on our hands. If we, I can scale. Mm. You guys are, you know, amazing. And if we can put the, two, the three of us together, I think we can, I can get in some money and we take this on a, you know, a rocket ship. Mm. And that's where you are now? That's where we are now. With Sisu. Yeah. It's, uh, we're just opening a rate clinic in Black Rock. And yeah. uh, we've arrived on New York at the moment. And do you think that's where, like, do you see that's becoming something, like, you know, it is, do you see it becoming even more uh, part of everyday life, like the, the, the whole uh, beauty industry for, for men and women? Yeah, I, th- I think it's, you know, when, Someone asked me again the other night, and I was thinking back to when, you know, when I was in my 20s and I had highlights because Duran Duran had highlights mm. and, you know, hair cut up the middle and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, wanting to be the best you, there's kind of nothing wrong with that. No. And this stuff is simple, you know. Yeah. You go to a doctor, a line that bugs you, I have yeah. two hair, really annoy me, yeah. and and they're gone. Yeah. And uh, men and women, I mean, we're we're 30% men, mm. which is, you okay. know, quite unusual. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not, you know, it's it's builders, it's doctors, it's, you know, mm. it's a complete cross-section of Irish lifestyle, or, yeah. or Irish people. Um, when you're doing this, when you're building these businesses, do you feel, like you talked about the start of this journey, which was when you stopped drinking, do you feel still that you're making up for lost time? I think it's more ambition. It's changed from last time to ambition now. Okay. Uh, the last time is made up for. Right. The grandkids have a trust fund, you okay. know. <laughs> so, and please God, the great grandkids will have a trust fund. But yeah. uh, it's, uh, I, th- I think what I'm good at now, I've discovered, is seeing trends early. Hmm. Um, if I can see those trends and do something in that space, I'll do really well. Pat, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thanks very much. Joe presents All In, together with AIB, backing Irish business. Well, that was really fascinating talking to Pat. Um, Niall and Jennifer are still with me. Um, we're going to talk about your ones to watch. Jennifer. I suppose if I can lean on the industry that I come from, so obviously beauty, one that has always been one to watch and should always still be one to watch is the brand Dermalogica. It's hugely educational focused and the founder, Jane Wormond, has surrounded herself with people that don't have her skill set. So she's brought a cosmetic chemist on board. She's really understood what her qualities are and her her qualities aren't. And from a team, she has built thousands upon thousands of people to work for her globally, from the reps that are on the road, the people that work in the pharmacy, the salon, and obviously she must have her strategic thinkers alongside. So that would be someone that I suppose would inspire me um, when I'm trying to look at a business model and how I might do it with skin ingredients in the future. And so that's how you, that's what you look at there. You see how that team has grown and diversified, yeah, if you like. Yeah, I think like. it's interesting. Obviously there'll be different elements that we'll need or not need, but, and she obviously founded herself in the 80s and lived the whole way through the 90s mm. and 2000s and so on. So it's a different model, as we spoke earlier about us living in the digital stage will I need those people perhaps not but I just yeah definitely would take inspiration from it great Niall so I'm not going to pick a company for once I just want to talk obviously about the impending UK election 
Um, and I suppose everyone's keeping a big eye on how social media are going to play a part, or mm. possibly to a negative degree again. So obviously so much of the, the, I suppose, the turbulence that we're living through in the world has been fueled by social media. And I've mentioned it before, how it's helped build our business. So mm. obviously I want to see social media thrive. But ultimately... It's brought upon this, it's developed this whole rise of misinformation, disinformation, which ultimately is leading to this populism um, and, and far-right movement that we're seeing happen globally. And if you look at something like the UK, ultimately, we grew up as Irish people probably living in the shadow of the UK, probably in a bit of fear of the UK at one stage, but certainly always with respect. And uh, what you can see here is that social media has actually misinformed an awful lot of people in the UK, an awful lot of people with an awful lot of common sense. And the whole Brexit result and the subsequent constant um, fanfare that this is a good idea economically for a country when it's absolutely anything but has been fueled by social media. So as we're, and particularly Facebook, I mean, we see even, you know, Zuck getting called up in front of lots of different uh, panels and judiciaries in the in, in the States talking about Facebook's complicity yeah. in Donald Trump's election and lots of other different stuff. And it's not just specifically around that. And we see that the answers clearly aren't anywhere near what what they need to be. And my take on it is that I, I don't know, I like to think that Facebook isn't um, some sort of Machiavellian organisation. I think fundamentally they built something so big, mm. so fueled by investor money that they struggled to enforce its management and still struggle to this day. So they created essentially a vacuum that could suck in lies from mm. all around the world. And instead of liberating this scenario where media are going to be viewed like this and then people are going to be viewed like this on Facebook, what they did is they allowed people to become media organisations or people in their bedrooms who wanted to spread fear and, and, and hate were actually given the same credence. And we still see it here in Ireland, believe mm. it or not. There's certain publications out there that are absolutely spreading falsehoods on a consistent basis and are going unchallenged. This is far from gone away. But ahead of the UK election, very fearful that, be it Russian interference or be it like just incredibly smart tech-orientated people who will do anything for money mm. are going to have an adverse effect on this election. I'm not advocating Conservative or Labour. What I'm advocating, obviously, is a second referendum and the idea that people who are now informed a lot more than they were should get the opportunity to go back and vote and decide. And obviously, we don't know what party is necessarily going to insist that. It's unlikely to be the Tory party. But the role that Facebook has played in that in the past has been very, very dubious and dangerous mm. and right now I'm laser focused on how like they came out last week Charles Sandberg and said look they're going to actually take political ads mm. which you know is is a strange process so why, they're not going to verify that so, yeah. they're, like, they're focusing on page transparency as opposed to the actual legitimacy of the people who mm. are writing the stuff so what I don't like if we accept that sort of narrative for Facebook which is fine like that this is what they did and they grew so big and they became this a uh, huge entity that perhaps they never, you know, Zuckerberg never envisaged initially uh, and have got out of control. Why do you feel that they haven't become more uh, rigorous and censorious in how they're dealing with that now when everybody knows the consequences of what they allow Because they're to probably stealing from this populist playbook which exists now, which is double down on everything and deny everything. Facebook are? Yeah. And that's, that, that's what they're mm. clearly doing, for right or wrong. I, I, what I'm saying is I like to believe... And I couldn't have. When they started Facebook in yeah, 2006, yeah. 2008, I don't think their view was, let's create something that's going to distort the no. world to the same degree. However, that clearly 
came at a cost. And this this scenario where they probably became more profitable as a business by allowing everybody to put up everything mm. was absolutely vandalised. But I think there's a philosophy out there right now, and we see it from everyone from Piers Morgan to Donald Trump, which is when you're in the wrong, clearly, double down mm. and deny and laugh it off. And like that's the most disturbing thing I think about the world right now is that when you look at the UK and you look at the political class, it's almost the more outlandishly odd individuals can, can triumph in politics. And I look at the mm. Irish political class and go, I feel like at least that's not the case here. I think somebody who went down that road would be called out instantaneously because as Irish people, we don't suffer fools very gladly. Whereas, so, uh, so to go back to your point, I think Facebook are absolutely just stealing from the playbook, which is popular right now, which is deny everything and double down. And I think that's a huge challenge for me is that why they haven't been more on top of this, why they haven't challenged this, and why they haven't been more rigorous. But it, it just seems to be that it's just got away from them now. If you look at Zuckerberg on TV um, and he's getting destroyed by AOC and, mm. you know, it's just going viral because of that, he actually doesn't look in, he doesn't look like a guy who's running uh, a brilliant business and he doesn't look like he's enjoying it very much. So I don't know whether it's gone beyond him. Ultimately, when you have one person at the top, it's easy to shoot at that one person. The board, the advisors, they're all complicit. But, there hasn't been enough done. That's why I'm kind of going around this election. What mm. what's going to go on? And we can see that Dominic Grieve has a piece published on out and out confirmed Russian interference in mm. the in the um, possibly the 2000, 2017 election and the Brexit mm. vote. And he, the Tory Party aren't allow, allowing him to publish that before the election, yeah. even though he's saying it should take ten days to turn around. They're saying it takes six weeks, which, you know, mm. coincidentally takes us past the, the, the UK election. So there's very interesting times. I really f- hope that there's enough good people left in the world to get to the bottom of this because it's destroying modern day politics and the societies we live in right now the way it is. Thanks, Niall. That's it for All In for this week. Uh, thanks to our panel, Jennifer Rock and Niall McGarry. And thanks to AIB for backing All In and to you for being with us. Make sure to tune back in for next week's show when Yvonne will be back and she'll be talking exit strategy in the company of Mark Little of Kinzen and others. And our tra- trailblazer will be the brains behind the Wexford tech company that's powering millions of parcel deliveries for companies such as eBay, Vision Direct, ASOS and Littlewoods. Joe presents All In. Together with AIB, backing Irish business.